and welcome to Carmelite Conversations. Today we are in part 12 of the series on the interior castle of St. Teresa of Avila. We'll be talking about the seventh mansion and we've subtitled it, this podcast, The Grand Entrance into Mystical Spiritual Marriage. And it is December 29th, 2023, when we are recording this. So we are in the Christmas season, and it is actually the fifth day of Christmas. And so it is interesting that it's lined up to be this day, because today we celebrate the five golden rings, right? (laughs) And we're going to be talking about spiritual marriage. I like that. But um, anyway, I would like to start with an opening prayer, but I'd first like to um, invite my guest, my guest host, who's been working with me on this series all along. Hello, Teresa Rittenhouse. How are you? Very well. Good morning, Francis. <laughs> it is a good morning, and I'm so thrilled we're together again to discuss this very important topic And it brings me great joy. When we were originally going to do this in November, um, I thought, oh, this is great. I'm going to do a a little bit of St. Teresa of Avila's, um, let's see, it was the 10th soliloquy, uh, the Raise Up Sinners from Death, because she talks about um, uh, souls and the last things. And that's where the church calendar was. But uh, you and I both had our trials. In the last month, yours more serious than mine, I might add. But uh, thankfully, we have both come through, and those involved with us have come through. Thanks be to God for His grace and blessings, and we are here to do the five golden rings, the spiritual marriage. We've we've um, worked on this pretty hard. Um, you know, it was difficult for Saint Teresa of Avila to talk about this. Um, So you can imagine how difficult it is for us, but we're going to try to share some nuggets, some highlights. But of course, we recommend everybody to uh, read the text yourself. And we are using the study edition of the Interior Castle published by um, ICS Publications. It is the second edition, and it is awesome. Great interpretive notes, um, great little outline to help and so we really encourage everybody to read the actual words of Teresa. And then um, I hopefully our podcast will help in sharing the things that we thought were in, were um, important. But of course, there's so many golden nuggets out there in her text and we can't we can't cover them all. But uh, we will do our best to try some. But we want to start with an opening prayer. And we've chosen this one from John Paul Thomas's book, The Interior journey toward God. So, Teresa, would you mind leading us in this opening prayer? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My triune God, I desire to see you, know you, and love you with all my heart, mind, soul, strength, and being. I desire to become one with you and to enter into the central dwelling place of my soul where you reside. Please draw me into your divine presence. Reveal yourself to me and transform me so that I can be one with you. Indwelling of the most holy trinity, I love you. I trust you. I surrender my life to you. Amen. 
in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I think his prayers really help zero in on the mansions that we're discussing. And I want our listeners to know that I have a first-class relic of St. Teresa of Avila here with me. So I'm asking her to intercede for all of us, all of our listeners, and for Teresa and I. Um, and um, it's very special you know, being part of her bone. And so we um, know that St. Teresa really wants you to understand all of this Um She's sharing these graces and favors, and I know she will help us. In writing this book, The Interior Castle, St. Teresa tells of us of her intention of making God's mercies known, and then his name be praised and glorified. And here at the beginning of the seventh dwelling place, she writes something special. Teresa, would you tell us what she said? Thus. The more we know about his communication to creatures, the more we will praise his grandeur and make the effort to have esteem for souls in which the Lord delights so much. Thank you. (laughs) We hope by now that those who are listening to this podcast on the interior castle have learned a lot more about how God communicates to creatures and are praising him evermore. We hope you have grown in the esteem that you have for St. Teresa of Avila, um, you know, a saint and a doctor of the church and a very privileged soul. In the Christmas season, we think of the holy amazement of our Blessed Virgin Mary, um, When she goes to Cousin Elizabeth, you know, she's told that Cousin Elizabeth is expecting is six months along. How amazed she was at that. Amazed that, you know, the Annunciation. And then also here with Elizabeth. And then St. Joseph is told in a dream about all of this. And then, you know, the shepherds seeing the angels. And then they come to see the baby Jesus. And then the Magi show up. Uh, Simeon and Anna, I think the go- the gospel today was about Simeon and the prophecy he made and the special revelations God gave to him. All these amazing things. We should be amazed. We should be um, in wonder and awe. It's, it's holy amazement. And so as we talk about this seventh mansion, I hope that that holy amazement will still be present with all of our listeners. Now, for this seventh mansion, this dwelling place, we've come up with some subtitles. Teresa, would you share those with us, please? Well, this is the grand entrance into the king's chamber, the very throne room. Mystical spiritual marriage, transforming union. It's the deepest secrets and intimacy. And it's at the center of the soul. Life in Christ, heaven on earth, and complete complete integration of Martha and Mary. So that kind of gives us a hint of some of the things that we will cover today. I do like to also preface our discussion with scriptures that apply particularly, I think, to the seventh dwelling place. And so the first one that I've picked is the Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go out into the country. 
Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us rise early and go to the vineyards. Let us see whether the vine has budded and its blossoms have opened and whether the pomegranates have bloomed. There I will give you my love. That really sets the stage. And then there's three other um, scripture passages. Teresa, would you give those to us, please? Well, St. Paul, um, there's uh, for Galatians 2.20. I live now, not I, but Christ lives in me. And in John 14.23, whoever loves me will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. From John, and this is uh, chapter 17, 21 through 23, Jesus is speaking. I pray not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, so that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us that the world may believe that you sent me and I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be brought to perfection as one, that the world may know that you sent me and that you love them even as you loved me. So here in the seventh mansion, this scripture is realized. The soul becomes one with the Blessed Trinity. And we're going to discuss those details. But this passage here in particular, um, people read it and, you know, there's levels of understanding. But here, as we look through the lens of the seventh dwelling place, I think it takes on even more significance than before. Now, also with each of the mansions, we have, uh, Turn to the Our Father prayer and taken one of the lines of the prayer and related it to the mansion. And today we are finally at the very beginning of the prayer, which is Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Yes, the soul here has come to know the Father, understands heaven is a reality, and can't help but hallow his name after the Lord has communicated so much and shared so much and the soul has been purified so deeply. Um, it is heaven on earth. Well, this journeying through our own interior castle individually is the internalizing and living out of this Our Father prayer. And once I learned um, about how to relate the Our Father prayer to the interior castles, I couldn't help that when I take the Our Father prayer and pray it slowly, I can go through all the mansions and it lines up so beautifully. And I give credit to R. Thomas Richard. He is the one who introduced this because I found an article online called The Our Father and the Interior Castle of St. Teresa. But he's also the author of a book called The Ordinary Path to Holiness and The Interior Liturgy of Our Father, two books. And um, they're beautiful. They're wonderful. And they also 
talk about how to relate the interior castle to the Our Father prayer. And I wanted to quote um, from uh, one of his articles. Um, Teresa, would you mind reading this? I think it is so concise and says so much that I, I felt it was worthwhile to, to quote him at length. In this dwelling, the soul is brought into spiritual marriage with the Lord, sharing in a special personal sense in his holy name. In this dwelling, the presence of the Trinity within the soul is revealed and assured, and our baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is perfected. Here, the holy name is hallowed in the interior worship and love of the soul, now wed with her spouse. The holy name is hallowed here in the most human and personal way and in the most complete way. Here, the prayer of the soul is most fully united with the love communion of Father, Son, and in the Spirit. The soul brought by his grace to this dwelling is enabled to pray this petition with him in his name, in a union so close that Teresa describes it as sacramental and covenantal, that is, in the bond of marriage. Yet the whole church praying through grace and in faith beyond ourselves, so to speak, prays toward this union in the holiness of his name. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, I could just ponder those words um, and, you know, it would take me quite a while. And (laughs) I just am so happy that I discovered our Thomas Richard and his article. And I hope that our listeners may be inspired to go check him out and his books um, because I think they're very, very rich. Now I want to turn um, and um, we're kind of setting the table here <laughs> so that we can enter the grand entrance here, right, into the king's chambers. So I want to turn to an excerpt from the glossary of the second study edition of the interior castle. And the um, words that I want to look up are spousal and bridal love, which I think summarizes the last three dwelling places of the interior castle really well. So this kind of is a reminder of where we have been so that we can proceed to where we're going. And I really like the way they wrote it. So I'm going to quote them at length here. And I'm going to ask Teresa again to read this for us. And this journey with her through the last, this is covering the last three mansions, the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh. We mentioned the fourth because the fourth, remember, was the the turning point where the first supernatural grace of contemplation and the prayer of quiet was introduced. So we're going to mention that. But let's travel quickly in this time machine (laughs) through these (laughs) mansions to the grand entry. So the last three dwelling places are the dwelling places of mystical union. In the prayer of union, that's the fifth mansion, unlike the prayer of quiet, that's the fourth mansion, there are no distractions while the union lasts. During this time, the soul neither sees nor hears nor understands because God so places himself in the interior of that soul 
that when it returns to itself, it can in no way doubt that it was in God and God was in it. The silkworm dies. The soul, like the butterfly, is reborn in Christ. Our life is Christ. It is also a state of conformity with the will of God manifested especially in the love of neighbor. In the bridal imagery, this prayer of union is like the meetings in which the two get to know each other and find out if they are suited for marriage with each other. Their love can grow in intensity so that it has its repercussion on the body, and hence there are the experiences of ecstasy. Now the bridal image of betrothal comes into play. These experiences of ecstasy are accompanied by locutions and visions in which further loving knowledge of God's presence and mysteries are given. The butterfly restlessly flies about in love. A new manner of feeling and measuring past sins occurs. And Christ is present in whom the divine and the human are joined and who is always that person's companion. Finally, the restless butterfly dies, and in the prayer of union and ecstasy, that's the sixth mansion, the soul was brought into its deepest center, but it wasn't conscious during the union of where it was. Now the scales fall from its eyes, and it sees the mystery of God present in its deepest center. This mystery is that in God are three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who communicate with each other and with this soul. In the bridal image, the mystical marriage with Christ takes place in this deep center. We have in these seventh and final dwelling places a soul that is fully calm and at peace, always experiencing God's presence in its deepest center fully inserted into the Christological and Trinitarian mysteries. It is, as well, fully inserted into the action of good works, experiencing a hunger for the honor of God, the hunger to bring souls to him, as did St. Dominic or St. Francis. Wasn't that a good synopsis to help us get ready? Absolutely. And. You know, they keep emphasizing this center of the soul. And Teresa is going to be talking about a superior part of the soul in the seventh mansion. And then this center, which is the deepest part. So um, that's important for us to try to get a handle on. Now, I want us to turn to um, kind of a synopsis of this transition from the sixth to the seventh. Now, the people... These souls have journeyed from the spiritual espousals or the betrothal of the sixth mansion with its purifications. Remember, we talked about all those. It was a list of like 11 things in the first chapter of the sixth mansion, all those purifications and trials. And John of the Cross would call that the dark night of the spirit. And they are now going to be entering into the seventh mansion, the king's chamber. That's the innermost center of the soul. Wearing their bridal gown. They have reached the relative perfection of the Christian life of complete self-forgetfulness. 
They have an extreme desire to do God's will, and they continuously seek his glory, as well as a great desire for redemptive suffering. These are beautiful souls. Now, regarding their prayer, entering into the seventh mansion, in the soul's deepest center, a transformative and permanent union with the Holy Trinity occurs. It's just like water falling into a pond, which cannot afterwards be separated or divided. In the seventh mansion, the soul begins to see and understand the favors God has bestowed on it, where earlier it was blind and deaf. All the raptures now have ceased, or generally cease. The wisdom of God flows wordlessly into the soul, which is brought into the Trinitarian nature of God. So this really happens. It's just amazing. And we have Teresa's um, experience to share this. So here the soul is able to attend to the indwelling Trinity while carrying on the daily activities in a perfect dual activity, being both Martha, the active one, and Mary, the contemplative one. Now, we may repeat a few things, but as all good teachers do, they know repetition <laughs> is good for the students So to help them learn. So bear with us when we repeat a few things. Now, let's talk about particulars of the seventh mansion. We're going to be talking about chapter one now of the seventh dwelling place. So, Teresa, what happens to that butterfly? We've been talking about that butterfly for a long time. <laughs> Oh, this poor little butterfly. It's so restless. The butterfly finally dies to self. And now Christ not only lives, but reigns in the soul. The little butterfly dies with the greatest of joy because its life is now Christ. You know, when I was reading that quote of Teresa, the greatest of joy because his life is now Christ. I was thinking of long, long ago, probably, hmm, I won't say the number here, but long ago, I read a book by Clarence Ensler called My Other Self. And that was my first introduction to thinking of Christ living in me and through me and radiating to others. Not that he was at that time um, because of where I was at, but I was introduced to that concept. And of course, we, we hear it at mass, but, you know, sometimes things don't sink in to the levels that they need to. And uh, reading that book was really helpful. And then reading the entire castle really zeroed in on it and um, gave me a much greater, fuller understanding of how Christ now lives in us and we die to self. It's so beautiful and it truly does happen. So now there are some unique experience of this seventh mansion. And we are going to enter in. And Teresa goes at length to tell us what it is like to enter into the seventh dwelling place. Now, I'm just going to preface this by saying I was taught two different things here. One thing I was taught was that first the soul is brought into the seventh mansion. And then second becomes the spiritual marriage. There are a lot of other books, though, um, who teach that this experience of the Holy Trinity is the spiritual marriage. And others are saying 
No, that's the entering into the seventh. So I'm not sure which way it is. <laughs> so um, we're going to share with you what okay. Teresa is saying. And we don't have all the answers. But um, I want you to know that there's some other thoughts about that. Um, and you know what? It doesn't really matter in the end because <laughs> once you're joined to the Lord in the seventh mansion, um, there's no, you would never want to go back. I mean, it's possible you could, but, um, you wouldn't want to. So, and God will protect you to help keep you from falling. But, um, at any rate, let's, let's see what Teresa says about that. Would you start us off with her awesome quote here? St. Teresa writes, when our Lord is pleased to have pity on this soul that he is already taken spiritually as his spouse because of what it suffers and has suffered through its desires, he brings it before the spiritual marriage is consummated into his dwelling place, which is the seventh. For just as in heaven, so in the soul. His majesty must have a room where he dwells alone. Let us call it another heaven. All right. So heaven in my soul. And here she specifically says that he's already taken the soul as his spouse. But this is before the spiritual marriage is consummated. So that I think is significant. And again, in the chapter one of the seventh dwelling place, um, paragraph five, St. Teresa reiterates, now then, when his majesty is pleased to grant the soul this divine marriage that was mentioned, he first, and that's where I keyed in, he first brings it into his own dwelling place. It's like, you know, when you're going to a wedding, the bride enters the church first. <laughs> exactly. She's not at the altar already saying, I do. <laughs> so she's brought in. And then um, it's consummated through the words and then the bridal chamber afterward. So um, so first, before the spiritual marriage is consummated, the Lord brings the soul into the seventh mansion. That's the way um, I'm, I'm getting it. Yet again, St. Teresa instructs us. What does she say further on there, Teresa? When the soul is brought into that dwelling place, the most blessed trinity all three persons through an intellectual vision is revealed to it through a certain representation of the truth. Okay, so this is huge. A, an intellectual vision of the most blessed Trinity. So Teresa is one of the souls that experienced this. And there are many others, saints and doctors of the church that experience this. But Teresa is teaching us in her own words and sharing her experience. And this is just really amazing that we have humans who have this experience. So upon entering the seventh mansion and before the consummation of the spiritual marriage, the soul is given this unique experience of the reality of the Holy Trinity through an intellectual vision, we know the intellectual visions when we talked about the visions that the intellectual ones are the most free from any kind of error or deception because they are the most interior. And then here the scales are removed from the soul's eyes so that it will understand something of the favor God is granting. You know, God wants us to know that he's bringing us up to the altar for the wedding, right? Um, we don't want to 
be blind and dumb here. We we want to know what's happening, and he wants our full um, our full permission and our full fiat, our full yes. So now we don't see the Holy Trinity visually with our outer eyes or even imaginatively with our interior eyes, but we see in our heart in a way that communicates this truth. And it's a certitude again, without a doubt. This is a most exalted intimacy of the soul with the beloved in the deepest center of the soul, which is characterized by its capacity for transcendence. And that's something we haven't heard before. Um, this capacity for transcendence in the center of the soul. So now, um, let's talk about this experience. What do we, what are some of the points that we wanted to make here, Teresa? This experience transforms our understanding of God in three persons into an experiential knowledge. Uh, this is amazing. It you really know, is. when Pilate ask Jesus what is the truth and it's like yeah hello (laughs) (laughs) this is Teresa gets to experience the truth (laughs) yeah an experience of it not not a faith stance but an experience of it that's totally different and really amazing (laughs) we are amazed we are in awe we're in holy amazement (laughs) it is amazing God now desires to remove the scales from the soul's eyes and let it see and understand. You know, when we're in heaven, we'll be able to have the understanding that we don't understand here on earth. There's still mysteries we don't understand. That's where faith comes in. But to be able to be here on earth and have that understanding, oh my gosh, it blows my mind. (laughs) I know, you're right, absolutely. So um, there's a certain representation of the truth and the doctrine of the Trinity ceases being only a catechetical truth of their faith because now it's a living reality so we're really trying to emphasize this because it's so amazing so how is this done well we're going to turn to um the seventh mansion chapter one uh paragraph six and we're going to do we're going to go through some quotes here of saint Teresa telling us about this experience okay so just as you listen to my co-host talk um read these quotes um Pretend you're listening to St. Teresa of Avila telling you about her experience here. First, there comes an enkindling of the spirit in the manner of a cloud of magnificent splendor. And these persons are distinct. And through an admirable knowledge, the soul understands a most profound truth that all three persons are one substance one power and one knowledge and one God alone. Here, all three persons communicate themselves to it, speak to it, and explain those words of the Lord in the gospel, that he and the Father and the Holy Spirit will come to dwell with the soul that loves him and keeps his commandments. This is a wondrous dance of intimacy culminating in spiritual marriage. It is so secret and so great and a favor so sublime with extreme delight 
the glory of heaven is revealed. So heaven on earth. So all that was a quote from Teresa about this experience. It's truly amazing. So this communication of the Blessed Trinity remains present within the soul. Okay? Never leaves, right? But at it will have different intensities and, and never as intense as the first time that Teresa tells us. So it is not transitory like other times of union that were in the fourth mansion or fifth or the sixth. Now is a permanent uh, union of different intensities, but it is permanent. And so St. Teresa gives us an analogy of how to understand this. She says it's like being in a, a room with a lot of people. It's well lit up, but then suddenly the lights go out. But the person knows that there are still people around them. They can feel their presence. And so that's how she's trying to describe this. She continues explaining that, quote, to see them, the Trinity, does not lie in its power, but depends on when our Lord desires that the window of the intellect be open. So it's the Lord's favor, the Lord's grace that is coming. Now, from the Discalced Carmelite, Father Marie Eugène, in his book entitled, I Want to See God, we get some more examples. So uh, would you mind reading us what he wrote regarding this experience? He writes, the seemingly constant experience of God's presence within can take various forms. St. Teresa notes it as a vision of the Holy Trinity, more or less clear at different times. For St. John of the Cross, the soul always is aware of the word, its spouse reposing within. And when these awakenings take place, it seems to the soul that the beloved is now awakening in its bosom, where aforetime he was, as it were, sleeping. As to St. Therese of the Child Jesus, she has a constant experience of the divine mercy that penetrates and surrounds her. I'm so glad that uh, Father Marie Eugène uh, put this in his book because he's given us different examples of this um, entering into the seventh mansion and the spiritual marriage. And I'm so glad he pointed out our three great doctors of the church, Teresa, Tres, and John. And um, Teresa does say in this chapter that for, for other people, it will happen differently than it was for her. And so here we have those wonderful examples. So this divine illumination of the divine can now fill the castle and flow through the soul into the world. You know, just like the word incarnate was come incarnate into the baby Jesus. And then it flows through the world. And today the world is still soaking up the graces and favors of the incarnate word and all the graces of heaven. So this is heaven on earth in this privileged soul. And and it goes out to the world, which is such a tremendous grace. I think this is why people are naturally attracted to holy people. Um, you can remember how people were attracted to um, Holy Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Um, yes. You know, she wasn't wealthy. She wasn't powerful. She wasn't trying to get rich or famous. And yet people really wanted to hear what she had to say. 
it's her the holiness the the presence of god within her uh, radiated out and brought such wisdom and grace to the rest of the world it was amazing so saint Teresa of avila tells us that the experience of this wonderful company of the blessed trinity prepares the soul for even more she says clearly the soul will be truly helped in every way to advance in perfection so there's never an end right there's always more because god is infinite <laughs> i think if teresa could write more to us um you know she would have so much more to tell us but you know she she did what she did and it was still more than most of us can handle right um i'm still uh so amazed by what she wrote and you know to put it into practice that is a challenge so may god help us right <laughs> absolutely all right then Teresa then talks about um a division in the soul can you tell us about this division in the soul that she refers to well i love the way she describes this like the difference between Martha and Mary in the Gospels. Part of her soul enjoyed the quiet in keeping God company, while the other part of her soul was left in the midst of many trials. Despite that, St. Teresa tells us that the essential part of her soul never moved from that room, the seventh dwelling place. Our sanctification comes from God and our communion with Christ. Okay, and again, this points out that the importance of the humanity of Christ and our relationship to Christ, because to get to the Father, we go through Christ, right? Then St. Teresa tells us there's um, a kind of difference that is clearly recognized, although she doesn't really say it. <laughs> she recognizes it clearly. Um, this difference between the soul and the spirit, which is something I've pondered for years. She says, even though they are both one, so they are both one, and yet uh, there's a difference. And she also says that it seems that the soul and the faculties are not one, but different. So I'm so grateful that in this second edition with the interpretive notes, we get some commentary on this. Um, so I'm picking this next part out from that uh, interpretive notes. It is saying the center of the soul. Again, we pointed out the difference between the uh, superior part and the center. So here in the center where, where God reigns, um, that's characterized by its capacity for transcendence. And regarding the difference between the soul and the spirit, well, the soul has the biological function of animating the body. Okay, so let's remember that. The soul has the biological function of animating the body. The spirit has a transcendent dimension. And here's where I think of the canticle of Mary in the Magnificat, where she says, my soul proclaims the greatness of God. And then the transcending part, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So that's wonderful to ponder. And so we realize that this sanctification comes from God. Yes, we need to say yes, we need to cooperate. But this this human holiness, this perfection comes from this communion with Jesus who leads us to the Father. And it's that universal call to holiness where all 
are called to be a dwelling place for the most holy trinity. The question is, how will we respond? All right, we're going to go forward now. So um, St. Teresa, in her spiritual testimonies, records several experiences of the Blessed Trinity in her soul. And I just want to talk on this a little bit because I've been pondering this a great deal. Because, <laughs> you know, if it's if it's the experience of the Blessed Trinity is the entrance into seventh, um, you know, she has several um, experiences of the Blessed Trinity. The first one began, she wrote about, at least, was on May 29th of 1571. The last spiritual testimony written on the indwelling of the Blessed Trinity was in Seville in 1575. So there's four years difference there. And in between those dates, she writes about her spiritual marriage, which happened on November 18, 1572. Okay, so you see that her experiences of the Blessed Trinity happened before she talks about the experience of the spiritual marriage. So take note that she had these intellectual visions of the Holy Trinity before her spiritual marriage. Um, and here I think is where some make the argument that this experience of the Blessed Trinity is the entrance into the seventh dwelling place and before the spiritual marriage is consummated. So just throwing that out there. Um, it's debatable. Um, and other theologians say, no, that is the spiritual marriage. So um, I'm just letting you listeners ponder the difference there and see what you think. Now we're going to go on to chapter two of the seventh mansion. You see, we had so much to talk about. It's just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so much more. So now we want to talk about Teresa's pointing out the difference between spiritual betrothal of the sixth mansion, which is sort of like of engagement, right? And then this spiritual marriage. So I want, first of all, to get a definition of spiritual marriage. Okay, Teresa, could you read these? We've got two different definitions here. So the first one, a mutual total surrender of love between the soul and God in frequent actual unions. God communicates his secrets and love to the soul in a direct manner. Being so united with Christ, she enters into and shares the intimate life of the Blessed Trinity. And the second one from St. John of the Cross. Spiritual marriage is a total transformation in the beloved, wherein on either side there is made surrender by total possession of the one to the other with a certain consummation of union of love. All right. So with that in mind, let's talk about the differences between spiritual betrothal and spiritual marriage. There are several points here, and I'm going to let Teresa start with these points for us. In betrothal, the two, the soul and the Lord, unite, but then may separate like the flames of two candles that join together into one flame, but can still separate, making it a transitory experience. In marriage, they cannot be separated. Like rain falling into a river, the spiritual marriage is a living reality where the union remains, although it may vary in intensity. 
and the Holy Trinity never seems to leave it anymore. So that that's the difference. One was transitory before, and now we have this permanent, but of different intensity. All right, go ahead. Betrothal occurs through the senses and faculties of the soul. Spiritual marriage takes place in the of the soul, and God does not need any door like the senses and faculties for him to enter. Okay, Teresa, I'm going to ask you to... earlier... Teresa, can yeah. you hear me? Wiggle your... Um, yes. Touch your screen because you were, you were breaking up just a little bit there. Um, All right. Okay. Yeah, we got to do that every now and then. Um, <laughs> sorry about that, but we don't want you to miss anything important here. So, again, previously it was in the faculties and the senses. And here... It's in the center of the soul. Okay, so God doesn't need the door of the senses and the faculties to enter. He he walks right in, just like uh, after the resurrection, right? <laughs> At Pentecost and everything. All right, go ahead. In the earlier unions, St. Teresa spoke of Christ being beside her. Here, in spiritual marriage, God is experienced in the deepest center of her being. And additionally, even though the soul is surrendered by trial or surrounded by trials and suffering, it remains in peace in the center of the soul in spiritual marriage. The faculties, senses, and passions are not always at peace, although the soul is. Exterior disturbances do not bother the soul. The favors bestow, bestowed in spiritual marriage are far more sublime and delicate. And then I want to add in the prayer of union in the fifth and the ecstatic union of the sixth, right? They take place in the superior part of the soul, where in spiritual marriage, the union takes place in the center of the soul. So we, we've hammered that home. I hope that everybody's getting that. In the fifth and the sixth dwelling place, the Lord makes the soul blind and deaf, like sort of like St. Paul in his conversion and takes away the perception of the nature and kind of favor enjoyed. The soul doesn't understand anything for all the faculties are lost. Remember, uh, St. Paul was blind for three days and had to be led by others. But here in the seventh dwelling place, in this spiritual marriage, God removes the scales from the eyes and lets it see and understand. It is a great gift, and it is so precious that God um, doesn't just give it to anybody. Um, he, the soul needs to be purified, trustworthy, uh, fully surrendered. Um, it is so beautiful, um, but it does happen. So how does St. Teresa describe her spiritual marriage? Now, before we talked about her experience of the intellectual vision of the blessed trinity here we're going to use some quotes from her um, about the spiritual marriage she says um, jesus is going to reveal himself in his most sacred humanity through an imaginative vision so that the soul will understand and not be ignorant of receiving this sovereign gift and i know from reading others that um, many don't realize that they have received this spiritual marriage in the moment, but only afterwards, okay, uh, when they're reflecting. Um, so I want us to read now from 
the spiritual testimonies. This is number 31. This is from um, one of the collected works of St. Teresa of Avila. So spiritual testimonies number 31, where she writes about her spiritual marriage, which occurred on November 18th, 1572. She was 57 years old and she had been in the sixth dwelling place for 12 years. It was a long battle, <laughs> but she had much to share with us on that. So Teresa, give us the setting and then give us the quote uh, of Teresa about her spiritual marriage. She had just received the Eucharistic host in communion from St. John of the Cross which had been broken in half to provide for another sister. But St. Teresa had thought he was just trying to mortify her because she had told him how pleased she was when the hosts were large. Now we pick up on what she had written. His majesty said to me, Don't fear, daughter, for no one will be a party to separating you from me making me thereby understand that what just happened didn't matter. Then he appeared to me in an imaginative vision, as at other times very interiorly, and he gave me his right hand and said, Behold this nail. It is a sign you will be my bride from today on. Until now, you have not merited this. From now on, not only will you look after my honor as being the honor of your creator, king, and God, but you will look after it as my true bride. My honor is yours and yours mine. He later wrote that this effect produced such an effect in her that she couldn't contain herself and she remained as though entranced. I think she wrote that in the book of her life. Um, at any rate, those words, behold, this nail is a sign. You will be my bride from today on. You can't doubt that the spiritual marriage occurred there, right? Well, and the other thing is, okay, it wasn't um, a gem. It was a nail. I know. And so that is a sign to us that we are to take part in suffering in this lifetime, just as Jesus did. And not to be afraid. Um, you know, he will be with us through that. I love that. Oh, I'm so glad you pointed that out. I, that passed, passed right over me. So, yes, that nail and the suffering. Um, that's beautiful. Thank you. Well, this is similar to when Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after his resurrection. And he draws us into this oneness of spiritual marriage. So, so. Teresa's talking about this actual moment of marriage. And again, the experience may come in many forms, depending on the individual, like we mentioned earlier with St. John the Cross and St. Therese. Um, and then uh, Teresa gives us some more information with, uh, we're going to use one of her quotes here um, in the second chapter. Can you read those for us? The first time the favor is granted, his majesty desires to show himself to the soul through an imaginative vision of his most sacred humanity so that the soul will understand and not be ignorant of receiving this sovereign gift and knowing it's from him. So it's important to think I, I focused in on the first time the favor is granted. 
All right. And and it was an imaginative vision, not an intellectual one. So this is just interesting. Um, so first time the favor of what? The favor of spiritual marriage, I think, is what she's referring to here. Go ahead. There's another quote here from her. What God communicates here to the soul in an instant is a secret so great and a favor so sublime and the delight the soul experiences so extreme that I don't know what to compare it to. One can say no more insofar as can be understood than that soul, I mean the spirit, is made one with God. It's interesting that she first wrote soul and then changed it to spirit, right? Because the spirit is the transcendent part. As we were talking earlier, the soul being animating the body and now the spirit transcending. So I, I just thought that was uh, really neat that she said that. And then is made one with God, which is what Jesus prayed, that we may be one. So this vision came to St. Teresa with great force. And the words spoken to her were so different. Um, and there's no thought of the body, right? Um, she's thinking you know, all the attention is on the Lord. Um, sometimes in the earlier visions, you know, she was talking about what the body was going through, you know, with these ecstasies. But that's not even talked about here. So oh. they're thinking only of spirit. So it's spirit to spirit. And she saw the Lord in the interior of her soul, in the center of the interior of her soul. And then there's a great secret and sublime favors that are given, revealing the glory of heaven. I imagine she was speechless there. <laughs> <laughs> the delight is extreme and the spirit is made one with God. So it's really possible in this life. And we have the testimony of St. Teresa to to help convince us. So now the remainder of life is lived now in an ongoing deepening relationship of this unique transforming union. So um, John the Cross likes to use that term transforming union. Um, and Teresa often uses spiritual marriage. So let's give some analogies when we briefly mentioned this, but we're going to elaborate a little bit more because Teresa is giving us more uh, analogies here to understand this spiritual marriage, this transforming union. Can you talk to us about that, please? And to talk about the union of two candles and becoming one flame, but they can still be separated. And in the seventh dwelling place, they can no longer be separated, like rainwater falling into a river or a stream entering into the sea. And the other one that she used was two beams of sunlight coming into a room through two windows, but becoming one light within. Isn't it great that she gives us these analogies? It really does help us to have a, a better grasp of understanding what she's trying to say here. And then we have this quote from Philippians 1, verse 21. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's why it's so important in this mansion. Um, we live life, seeing life fully from God's perspective. And from it, his love pours through us into all the circumstances of our lives. So that's a result of the spiritual marriage. 
And then we have this wonderful scripture passage from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Teresa, would you proclaim that for us? For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that he may grant you in accord with the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit and in the inner self, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the holy ones what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So this fullness of God, that's what is experienced in the seventh dwelling place. It's so beautiful. So now life is lived continuously with the Holy Trinity and transcendently in the present moment with the fullness of Christ's love. So the self has become um, my other self, you know, for, for Christ. Now the soul, um, they wish to live a long life now to bring others to God instead of, oh, get me out of this place because, yeah. <laughs> because I long for you so much, you know, I can hardly stand being separated. But now you're like, oh, I, I want to bring souls to you, Lord, you know, save souls. And then it's through this same type of secret aspiration that the soul clearly understands that it is God who gives life to the soul. And these aspirations, Teresa says, come often and cannot be doubted. So there's a certitude. Um, they are felt clearly, but are indescribable and powerful. That's how Teresa was describing them. So now we talk about this is what the fourth waters in prayer. Remember, there was four waters in prayer that Teresa talked about. I think, was it the way of perfection or the book of her life? She's talking about these four waters. And um, that's experienced as the Holy Spirit's leading the soul completely. So this, this spiritual marriage now is a knowing union instead of a faith union. It is a, a knowing. Um, it's a knowing resulting from infused contemplation, which includes a divinely given awareness, cognition, and enlightenment. So it's understood clearly, and this is a quote from Teresa, it's understood clearly that there is someone in the interior depths who shoots these arrows. <laughs> she, she brought arrows into the story a lot of times. <laughs> who shoots these arrows and gives life to this life. And that there is a sun in the interior of the soul. So she always tells us, don't think of the soul as dark, but light. Unless you're in mortal sin, and then it would be dark. But a soul in grace, the soul is light. So that there is a sun in the interior of the soul from which a brilliant light proceeds and is sent to the faculties. So, you know, this is where I like to think of that. There's scriptures that are talking about God is light. And so the light coming into the darkness, right? Uh, go ahead and give us some more of these effects um, from this spiritual marriage. Oh, let's see. Effects of like the blessed, yeah. Like the blessed who are forever receiving new surprises, marveling more about God. Well, so you don't just get one thing. There's new surprises all the time. <laughs> <laughs> the soul is within the divine splendors and is transformed in them. 
and divine likeness, this cognitive immersion in pure beauty enthralls and transfigures, just as fire ignites and makes objects thrown into it glow. Well, that's the knowing union. And now when we get to the loving union, tell us about the loving union. Love is poured into the soul by the spirit. Fusion of unimaginable light and unspeakable love. This is the summit in which the soul receives the kiss of God. And the soul is now all love and all actions are all love. Loves God with whole heart, soul, and mind. And well, that reminds me of scripture passion. Love. <laughs> yeah. Like the gospel for today was also about love. <laughs> love of God and love of neighbor. <laughs> so um, it's a beautiful thing. And um, it's worth journeying through this interior castle. Despite all the trials and purifications, um, Jesus is pulling for you, right? And he's he's wanting you to come closer. Come closer now, right? <laughs> so let's say yes and trust that he will lead us and um, that we will we'll get where he wants us to be. So I had turned to um, Adolf Tanqueri. He's a theologian. He wrote a book called The Spiritual Life. A Treatise on Aesthetical and Mystical Theology. Really like this book. And um, he mentions three chief characteristics of this transforming union or spiritual marriage. And I like how he summarized all of that we've been talking about into three characteristics. Can you share those with us, please? Well, the first is intimacy. This union is more intimate than all the previous types of union. It is a blending of lives. In the second, serenity. No more ecstasies or raptures, or at least very few. And the third one, indissolubility. The other unions were transitory. This one, by its very nature, is permanent, just as is authentic Christian marriage. Wonderful. So chief characteristics. Now let's talk about what he shares about the effects, um, the results of this transforming union. Go ahead. The soul is so transformed that it forgets itself and thinks only of God and his glory. Holy abandonment into the hands of God and an insatiable thirst for suffering but devoid of anxiety and imperfect conformity with the will of God, the absence of desire and of interior sufferings, and the almost complete absence of raptures, ecstasies, or flights of the spirit. It's an ardent yet discreet zeal for the sanctification of souls. It's really interesting to go to different theologians, different texts written through the many years talking about spiritual marriage, um, different perspectives. And, of course, other saints shared on this as well. Um, but we are particularly using the lens of St. Teresa to discuss this. But I did want to quote Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene. He is a Discalced Carmelite friar. 
in his book, Divine Intimacy, which is one of my favorites, full of wonderful meditations, um, he describes what the soul is conscious of in spiritual marriage. So I'm going to ask Teresa, would you please read this wonderful excerpt for us? In the most sublime moments of transforming union, the soul is rendered conscious of the God living, present, and working in it. It is conscious of his sweet paternal embrace, which sustains it, of the splendor of his wisdom, which enlightens it, and of the divine enkindling of his love, which penetrates it through and through. The end of the sweetness and the joy of intimacy with God is to make the soul more courageous in the divine service, more generous in the gift of self, and stronger in bearing the cross. Beautiful. Ah, much to ponder, right? Um, I hope now our listeners are joining us with this holy amazement, this awe and wonder. And it's so perfect to be in the Christmas season, um, this octave of Christmas that we're in, when we're thinking so much of, of the amazement of the shepherds and of the magi and all, all these many people uh, that testify to the Christ child. So um, there is a book that um, I think it's Ashbrook is the author. I didn't write this down, so I'm, I'm going by memory here. Um, he had a category called your heart's desire in relationship to God. And he's talking about this undivided heart now in the seventh dwelling place in knowing, loving and serving God. And he says there is a we of daily life in God instead of, you know, God's out there. I'm here. You know, the we now that oneness. I, I'm glad he pointed that out. The we of daily life in God. That's beautifully stated. And enjoying the full awareness of his presence within. And it's ongoing. It's not transitory. And then a wholeness, holiness, and service, which are combined and balanced. So we're not getting out of kilter here. Um, and then he, he brings out two other scripture passages, 1 Corinthians six seventeen. But whoever is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And this joining is that spiritual marriage, right? And then Galatians 2, verse 20, yet I live, no longer I, but Christ lives in me. So this is the fulfillment of that. And then so we, we have some advice here. Um, would you like to give us some advice, Teresa? <laughs> well, you know how Mother Teresa is. She, she gives us advice. She tells us how to live. So just like a mother, <laughs> do not place any limits on what God can do in our souls. You may suppose, sisters, that as so much has already been said regarding this spiritual way, nothing more can be added. It would be a great mistake to think so. For as God's greatness has no limits, so neither have his works. And prepare yourself. Remove all obstacles. And so we, we, we do pray. We do try to improve and remove obstacles. But, you know, we're pretty weak. So let's ask for God to remove the obstacles in us. Let's ask for the Holy Spirit to enlighten us and guide us on this interior um, journey to the interior castle to the king's chamber. 
Well, we've come to the end of chapter one and two. There were more nuggets in there, but again, I ask our readers to go to the text and um, soak it all in. But we've we've hit some pretty important highlights. We still have another podcast to do. Um, we have two more chapters to cover. Um, the third and the fourth chapter of the seventh dwelling place. So when we get that together, we will create another podcast. We are so grateful for all of the people who are listening to this series. We thank you for going to www.commonlightconversations.com and giving us your comments um, and even giving your ideas on what you would hear, like to hear us talk about. Or, or how these podcasts have benefited you. It encourages us and inspires us because, you know, it's it's not easy <laughs> putting all this together and doing it. And so um, because you encourage us, we, we get um, the um, inspiration to continue. So we thank you listeners for doing that. So we want to close now um, with a, a prayer from St. Teresa's Meditations on the Song of Songs. This is excerpt number four verses, or excerpt from four, verse eight. So, Teresa, would you lead us in this closing prayer? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Oh, my Jesus, who could explain the benefit that lies in throwing ourselves into the arms of this Lord of ours? and making an agreement with his majesty that I look at my beloved and my beloved at me, and that he look after my things and I look after his. Let's not, as the saying goes, love ourselves to death. I repeat, my God, and beg you through the blood of your son that you grant me this favor. Let him kiss me with the kiss of his mouth, for without you, what am I, Lord? If I am not close to you, what am I worth? If I stray a little from your majesty, where will I end up? Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you, Teresa, for joining with me today and throughout this series. I'm so grateful. It's so much easier to do it with someone. And I really enjoy your perspectives and all that you have shared with us. And I thank our listeners and, and invite you to finish out the series with us. Uh, hopefully next month we will have the final episode. We have a lot more to share. Um I, I would have loved to get it all in one podcast, but it just, there was too much good, you know, St. Teresa Baba, <laughs> she has so much good to share with us. So um, we're thrilled that uh, we can share um, how she has affected us. And um, we are overjoyed this Christmas season to be thinking of uh, this spiritual marriage that God lowers himself. Um, here he became the word incarnate, enfleshed in the human body. And then, you know, that's that's kind of hard when you think of becoming a human versus becoming a piece of bread. But in the Eucharist, he becomes present totally in a piece of bread in the host. And I am just amazed. I think at Christmas, how, wow, Lord all these thousands of years they were waiting for you. And then on Christmas, here you come, the word incarnate in your nativity. You come physically out 
to be with us and to teach us and to share so much with us. And then if that wasn't lowering yourself enough, you lower yourself into a host at every mass with the Catholic priest um, calling you down into the host and that host becoming all you. And then, and then if that's not enough, <laughs> you let me receive you. Oh my, I'm totally amazed. And so all that we're learning from St. Teresa just continues to increase my amazement. And I hope our listening audience has also been amazed. And so let's remember, as Teresa said, to thank the Lord, to praise him for his merciful love. And again, I hope your esteem for St. Teresa of Avila has grown and grown just like ours does. So thank you again. Thank you, Teresa. Um, yeah. So glad you were with me. And we look forward to, to all of you joining us for our final episode next month. God bless you.